The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God, as the Church has summarized and confessed it in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 10, we have the confession of the Church as follows, What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. After the sermon, we will respond by singing together the three stanzas of hymn 66. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 9, we have that comforting confession that the Almighty God is my faithful Father. As such, He is both willing and able to provide us with all things we need for body and soul in this life of sorrows, this veil of tears. For there's nothing in all creation that's able to separate us from His love in Christ Jesus, the one through whom we are adopted as God's children. And then as we come to Lord's Day 10, we find that whole principle worked out just a little bit more. The reason we can have such confidence in our Father is because the Creator God, the one who is our Father in Jesus Christ, He continues to uphold and govern heaven and earth and all things by His almighty power. So we can see that Lord's Day 10 broadens the perspective that was presented in Lord's Day 9. There the focus was on how our God is at work in each one of our personal lives, providing us with all things that we need. But the reason that is even possible is because not only does he govern our personal lives, He governs the entire created reality. There is not a single thing that God brought into existence that is outside of his control. If we were to separate Lord's Day 9 and Lord's Day 10 too much, then Lord's Day 10 could easily leave us with the thinking that this God, the God who governs heaven and earth, 
he is much too busy to worry about me. There are so many bigger things in the cosmos that require his attention than one single person in the long span of human history. But that is such a wrong view of God's providence. Brothers and sisters, it is striking that Lord's Day 10 is the one place in the whole catechism where there's a particular part of God's character that we confess. You find it in answer 28, where it mentions God's love. There are other places in the catechism where you read about our call, our responsibility to love God, to love our neighbor, to love the truth, to love living in accordance with God's will. But this is the one place in the whole catechism where you specifically read about God's love. Some have said this is a weakness of the catechism. It should more specifically focus on God's love far more often. However, by speaking about it so openly in this particular Lord's Day, it directs us to the amazing and rich comfort that we have in God's providence. It's comfort that applies through our entire life to every different situation that we face. And so I may proclaim that comfort to you under the following theme, God teaches us to live with the comfort of his loving providence. And we'll see first that it makes us patient, secondly it makes us thankful, and finally it makes us confident. Congregation, you'll likely recognize that the points for the sermon come from the division that we find in answer 28 of our Lord's Day. That was done intentionally, because with that question and answer, the Catechism is making it perfectly clear that when we consider God's providence, we should be thinking about it in practical ways that impact each one of us personally. Because when you think about it, answer 28 of the Catechism, it covers the whole spectrum of life. There are the times of adversity in which the brokenness of life, the misery of this world, it strikes us in different ways. There are also the times of prosperity. Our spirits are cheered. We can clearly experience that God is truly the overflowing fountain of all good. But then there's also the future, the great unknown that no one can predict. All of life is covered. Now, if we had to face each one of these things by ourselves, without having any foundation to build on, then it would certainly leave us with many questions and a great deal of confusion and distress. But because we can approach these things from the perspective of faith, we have the exact foundation that we need. And yet at the same time, we do need to be clear about something. Just because we have the right perspective or just because we have that right foundation, that doesn't mean that we have all the answers that we want. There is a difference between those two things. We may never get the answers we desire, but to have the right perspective is perhaps even more important. And it's with that perspective in mind that answer 28 speaks about being patient in adversity. Catechism doesn't need to speak about being patient in prosperity, 
That's not a struggle many people are going to deal with. Those are the times where it's very easy to be patient, when everything's going well. But when there are those times of adversity, patience is not something that comes easily or that comes natural to us. Now the first question we can ask here is what kind of adversity is the catechism specifically referring to? It almost seems to make adversity something subjective, something that each person can define for themselves. One person may consider something to be adversity while the next person sees it to be just a minor curve in the pilgrimage. However, the idea of the catechism here is not that we get into this big discussion of what is adversity or what is not adversity. No, the focus is on the perspective that each believer can have as they go through adversity. They can have the attitude or the mindset of being patient in those times. It's a mindset that goes very much against our human nature. The reality is during times of adversity, we often find it very difficult to be patient. More often, we are focused on the many questions for which we want answers, and we don't want those answers later sometime in the future. We want those answers right now. We want an explanation. Why me, Lord? Why do I have to go through such a difficult and such a trying time? And through all those unanswered questions, patience is only possible when we take the attention away from ourselves and we place it on God. That is what God's loving providence is meant to teach us. That even through those times of adversity, we are not experiencing something that is outside of the control of the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. It's all under God's control. Brothers and sisters, that is the most comforting confession. No, it doesn't answer all the questions, but it does give us the right focus. And yet at the same time, at first it sounds so hollow and so empty. It's easy to say those things when everything's going okay in life. But when you get deeply into those times of adversity, that it is not nearly as easy to make such a confession of trust and dependence. However, we should never look at times of adversity in a vacuum, like they stand apart from everything else. Because, brothers and sisters, the truth is that the doctrine of God's providence teaches us that nothing we experience comes to us by chance, nothing is just random, nothing happens in that way. It all comes from God's fatherly hand. That's the confession we make in answer 27. All things come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. It's also what we read in Lamentations 3, verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Now perhaps when you hear that, something sounds very off. Because what kind of father would intentionally give his child something negative. 
What kind of father would ever allow his children to experience times of adversity, especially when this father is the very one who governs all of creation? The answer, congregation, is that it is the father who has promised to turn to your good whatever adversity he sends you in this life of sorrows. It's the Father who is from eternity, who has established his eternal covenant with you. It's the Father who loved us so much that he sent his only natural son, Jesus Christ, so that through the shedding of his blood, we might be adopted to be his children. That is what allows us to have patience in times of adversity. It's recognizing that it is our Heavenly Father who allows us to experience such things. But that even in the midst of the sorrow, the pain, the tears, He has not forsaken us. He hasn't just left us to figure things out for ourselves. He's still actively working using every last bit of it for our good so that everything works together for our salvation. And that's not just a matter of words written down on paper. That is the promise God made to each and every one of us right at the beginning of life before affliction was something we ever could really understand or began to experience. In baptism, God the Father comes to us and he promises that whatever happens in this life, this life that is no more than a constant death, all evil will be turned to our benefit. comforting thought to be able to step back to confess in faith my father my God he knows what is best for me he knew how to rescue me from my deepest problem namely my sin he knew how to get me out of that and so he knows also best how to bring me to the fullness of salvation even if it means using adversity to get us there. If you want to see an example of patience in adversity, then consider the words that we read from Lamentations 3 earlier. Just from that passage alone, you can see that very quickly that the life of God's covenant child is not always going to be free from hardship. Lamentations was written after Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. All the people had been exported, exiled to Babylon. Terrible time. The righteous judgment of God prophesied by Zephaniah, as we heard this morning, it had been experienced in a devastating manner. And that hardship that the author is dealing with, it comes out in some very powerful language. You can almost feel his pain and his hurt. I am the man who has seen affliction, he says in verse 1. And in fact, if you read verses 1 through 20, it's just this constant lament. He's pouring out his soul before the Lord. He's telling God how he feels. And he's confessing his confusion and his pain, all his adversity. And he's not mincing any words either. He's not covering it up. He's not trying to face it with a brave face or a stiff upper, upper lip. 
But then there's the confession of patience. Because in the midst of the pain, we read in verses 21 and following, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. All the affliction and adversity is put into perspective just in those verses. For even in dark times, when our whole life seems to be crashing down around us, our Father is faithful and He does not ever change. His mercies, they are new every single morning again. It's not the case that in times of adversity we can make the claim that God must not love me anymore because his love never ceases. God is not governing this world. He's not governing our lives as someone who's cold, someone who's distant, someone who doesn't care. In all things, he is governing in his love. It's when we confess the steadfast love of God, the fact that he is always faithful to the eternal covenant he made with us, that's what allows us to be patient in adversity. It's not standing up in our own strength. It's not trying to be tough. It's, con it's constantly confessing the love of the God who is our Father in Christ Jesus. It is confessing, in his in, it is confessing that in his love, he will fulfill his promise. And he will turn to our good whatever adversity he sends in this life of sorrows. It's confessing in faith that while I may have questions, so many questions, questions that are not even necessarily wrong, my father still knows best. He knows best, both in the bad times and in the good times. think about it, then sometimes it's easier to turn to God in times of affliction than it is when everything is going well. In those times of affliction, we are reminded in a very powerful way of our complete dependence on God and the strength that he provides. But in contrast, during the times of prosperity, it's very easy to forget that we do depend on God for all the prosperity we experience. You can think of examples throughout scripture that show just how difficult thankfulness really is for people. In Luke 17, we read the account of how the Lord Jesus healed 10 lepers. But there was only one of those 10 who displayed the attitude of thankfulness. In Luke 17, verse 18, our Lord says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And it shows that thankfulness is not a part of human nature. Human nature is that we take things for granted. We get in the mindset that we have worked very hard for everything we have. 
We deserve to enjoy the rewards of our labor. We are entitled to the best of things, the biggest and the newest. We shouldn't have to settle for anything less. And the Catechism deliberately wants to bring out this aspect of being thankful during times of prosperity, because when you reflect on life, we truthfully have to acknowledge that there are so many things that we get to enjoy. Yes, it may be easy to focus on all the negatives, but there is a strong positive aspect to life as well. In fact, that really comes out in answer 27. It lists the practical ways that God is governing over all things. And when you look at that list, it soon becomes evident that this is not a list in which one side is positive, the other side is negative. There are examples where both are positive. The evidence of prosperity, leaf and blade, God governs the leaves of the trees and the blades of grass on the ground. Food and drink, neither one of those is negative. Our loving Father is the one who pours out both. And the prosperity of life is something that also came out in our scripture reading. In verse 25 we read, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. To focus only on the negatives, to focus only on the adversity, is to only look at part of the picture. Because if we each take the time to think about our lives, yes, there are problems, serious problems even, and yet we can still conclude that God has very richly blessed us. And yet even in those times of prosperity, it's important to have the perspective of faith. Because as rich and as prosperous as life may be, it all comes to us not by our own strength, not because we work so hard. It doesn't come to us by chance. It all comes to us from God's fatherly hand. It all comes as a result of his steadfast love towards us. And when we recognize that we have not earned the many things we may enjoy, cultivates in us that attitude of thankfulness. That's an important point, brothers and sisters, that thankfulness is an attitude. It's not simply a matter of words, although words, of course, are an important part of thankfulness. Thankfulness goes much deeper than just the words that come past our lips. Just like patience is an attitude that impacts the things that we say and do, so thankfulness is an attitude that should impact not only what we say, but also what we do. Thankfulness, true thankfulness, directs us to the giver and not focusing us on the gift. It focuses us on the true source of prosperity, and that is the God who has all things under his control, the one who governs leaf and blade, the one who provides fruitful years, who gives food and drink, who gives health and so many other things. Especially during times of prosperity, it's very easy to forget that God truly is the one who has complete control. Humans are very quick to take credit for things. And then it takes active work, changing the directions of our minds, to remember that it's God, our Father, who is the giver, who is the source of every blessing. For they all come from above. James 1, verse 17. 
again, if we want to see that remembering God as the source of prosperity is such a challenge for man, that we can turn to Scripture. In Deuteronomy 8, for the people of Israel had crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, they first had to be reminded to remember the Lord their God. He was the one who was giving them the riches of that land, and they were going to enjoy so many good things there in Canaan. Prosperity beyond measure, a land flowing with milk and honey, cities that they did not build. But they had to remember the real source of those gifts, because man's first inclination is not to think of God, it is to think of the self. Also in our scripture reading, remembering our God is something that comes out very clearly but it's something that has to be called to mind. It's not naturally there at the forefront of our thinking. It has to be pulled into the central place. We read about that in verse 21. Though the lamenter was down, he had to call to mind the character of his God. But that's not only true in times of adversity, it's also true in times of prosperity that we need to call to mind the character of our God to remember, actively remember that he is the one who is in control. And especially as we live in this world where so many positive advancements have been made in many different fields, man has been given the technology and the ability to do many different things at all times we need to be focusing not just on those things, but even more important, we must call to mind the character of our God more than anything else. Because it's he who showers his blessings upon us. But to get the full picture, like we said in the introduction, we have to think about things in the broad perspective. For the reason... God delights to bless us is because he is our loving father. He loves us dearly. We are the apple of his eye. He does want what is best for us. God is not the stingy or the cheap father who does the bare minimum, but he delights to pour out the abundance of his blessings. With that comes the requirement to remember that he is the God who does these things. It's the demand to be thankful and to acknowledge that we really don't deserve anything good. In fact, if you want to use that word deserve, then there's really only one thing we deserve. By ourselves, because of what we do, we deserve eternal judgment. That's what we earn for ourselves. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to rescue us from his wrath so that through Christ we might become God's adopted children, the ones who do receive so many blessings from the love of our Father, and that he might show us in every possible way the riches of his eternal love. When you think about it from that perspective, what we earn for ourselves compared to everything we receive from the love of God, 
only lead to a life of thankfulness. Praising the Lord for the riches of his love and his grace. It gives us not only strength for today, but also bright hope for tomorrow. Confidence for the future. Brothers and sisters, the language that the Catechism uses is very intentional, and the final part of answer 28 makes that clear. There we confess that with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. Now with this part of the confession, there is likely a lot of familiar language here. It reflects the words that come from Romans chapter 8. But here in Lord's Day 10, the authors have also intentionally brought back the language of Lord's Day 7. Perhaps you remember the language. There we confess that one aspect of true faith is that it is a firm confidence. A firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Brothers and sisters, when you bring those two Lord's Days together, then you see the real reason why we can have confidence for the future. It is actually a glorious perspective on the future that the believer may have. Perhaps you've heard the saying before, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And certainly that is true, because we know who holds the future, it is my God and my Father who governs all of creation by his almighty power. There's never anything that happens by chance, whether that's in the world around us or whether we're talking about our own lives. Our Father is always in control. But then from that perspective of faith, we can also say that in a certain sense, we know exactly what the future holds. No, we may not know the various steps along the way as we get to that final destination, but we know exactly where it all ends. That is in life eternal, dwelling for eternity in the glorious presence of God, freed from suffering, freed from misery, freed from tears, and most importantly, freed from sin. That is the future that has been obtained for us by our Savior through his suffering and death. He's taken away all our sin so that we have been reconciled to God and we may look forward with joy to eternal life and not eternal death. If you do not have the faith, then yes, life is uncertain. Without the faith, then the future becomes very scary because everything's unpredictable. But true faith in Jesus Christ changes our entire worldview gives us the confidence to look forward to the future with eager longing. And the reason we can have that complete confidence is because as we make our journey, as we face that future here in this life, we know who is upholding us at all times. Who's carrying us through all the ups and all the downs it's our faithful and loving Father. 
that being the case, then regardless of what may happen to us in this life, we know with the certainty of faith that there truly is nothing that can separate us from his love. For his love is eternal. His love is unchanging. And he's proven that to be the reality by sending his son to die on the cross. God took every single step necessary to redeem us from sin, to adopt us as his children. And having gone so far already, having displayed all the wonders of his love so powerfully, that we may be confident that his love will continue all the days of our life. There you have the big picture. So often when we think about the future, whether we're talking short-term future or long-term future, we have so many questions. We want to know what's going to happen. What's our life going to look like? We wish that we could see even a glimpse of how things will be for us just five years down the road. What's everything? What's going to happen? But then our Father comes to us. And he teaches us to live with the comfort of his loving providence. He says, don't worry about it. I have it all under control. I know exactly how things are going to work out for you. There will be adversity. There will be prosperity. We don't know exactly what it will look like. But we do know this. Whatever this life may hold for us, there is nothing all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And with that confession firmly fixed in our hearts, then does it really matter what the details look like? Because we know the big picture. We know where everything is leading to. While our life is full of changes, we can call to mind. We can make the same confession that we find in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.